Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. just um, a week or so ago that I preached from the previous chapter. But I feel to talk to us from the word of the Lord in chapter 22. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. Sounds like the kind of folks that you want to come cheer you up when you're down as people that is in distress, in debt, and discontented. They gathered themselves unto him. And it became, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And David went thence to Mesphah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, go, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. Everybody say the hold. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart, get thee into the land of Judah. I want to take our text from that first verse. It says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. Escape to the cave of Doolam. And I just want to preach for a little bit from this subject tonight. Don't stay. And I know this is very elementary as far as the subject, but I just feel this so strong. Don't stay in the cave. Don't stay in the cave. Would you lift up your hands with me right now and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're asking for your mighty anointing. We're praying, Lord Jesus, that you would take control the remainder of this service. I pray that you would bless, that you would work, and that your will would be ultimately done. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, would you give a hand clap of praise unto the Lord? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. You know, as I was preparing for this service, there's always a lot of things and reading, studying, and praying about services that are constantly on my mind, and uh, maybe even things that I've prepared that just haven't felt comfortable or felt a release to, to preach. You know, a preacher has to have a confirmation that this is right for this particular time. And timing is everything for a message. We see that substantiated in the Word of God, that timing 
is everything uh, for a person, an individual, maybe even a group of people in receiving a message. There's times that we received messages from the Lord right on time and sometimes just in time. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Maybe you were going a direction you didn't need to and fixing to make a mistake that would have been detrimental to your existence and living for God. But God gave you a message that turns you in the right direction and circumvented a huge problem in your life. So messages can come right on time. And I was considering this particular passage of Scripture. And often in the Word of God, when people were afraid, they would retreat into caves. We see examples of this throughout the Word of God. And at, at first glance, or when we think about caves as we know them, uh, possibly you would think, why of all places to go would you retreat especially to find safety in a cave. They're known for being dark. They're known for their coldness, for being damp and lonely in an isolated place. Yet uh, we know that people, because of fear, are motivated to do things that would otherwise not be their modus operandi. And otherwise they would have not have done this have it not been motivated by fear. But because of fear, people do funny things. Fear is faith in the wrong things. Can somebody say amen? I've got a statement that I've used several times, but it's worthy of saying again. But fear is faith in reverse. Fear is the dark room where doubts are developed. It's, it's where negatives are developed in our life. In other words, when we give way to fear in our minds, we allow things that the enemy has, maybe seeds that the enemy has tried to plant in our mind, we let them grow and we let them flourish. And we allow those seeds of doubt to become fruitful in our life. And we entertain things that we should not entertain. And it isn't long until it develops into a full-blown problem that could have very easily been taken care of had it been taken care of early on. But that is the result of fear. And a lot of times we find us ourselves in predicaments because of fear. And caves come in all shapes and sizes, even in the Word of the Lord. But in our personal lives... Uh, when we're talking about caves, and if we have to put a label on them, they come in all shapes and sizes. It can come in the form of depression. It can come in the form of isolation and separation from, from people that we need in our lives to encourage us, to inspire us, uh, to give us direction in the relationship that we have for the, for the Lord and in the Lord. It can also come in the form of bitterness. It can come in the form of hurt and offense. Caves come in all shapes and sizes. And there are, are many of us that uh, we find ourselves in caves, not because this is necessarily what we envision for our lives. This is not something that we really 
thought would ever happen to us. But nevertheless, because of choices, and maybe we even feel like it wasn't choices that we made, maybe it was choices that other people made. Mother, maybe choices that other people made for us that led to us entering into this cave, if you will, in our life. And uh, there's some things about caves that we need to be aware of. And as we study through the Word of God, and I'm going to give some examples of this throughout the Word of God uh, to, to help us to understand just how a cave, if we're not careful, uh, it can conquer us, it can defeat us, and it can cause us to be destroyed. In Joshua chapter number 16, the Bible says that Joshua was leading God's people into an engagement with the enemy. And there were five kings that were discovered as they seen that the battle was going against them. They ran and hid themselves in a cave. And the scripture tells us that they were noticed there, discovered, and uh, they brought word to Joshua. They said, we have found these five kings of our enemies in these caves, and what shall we do with them? Now, they were driven to these caves by fear, fear for their lives. And when Joshua was notified, the Scripture says that he instructed his men because they were engaged in a battle and because the battle was in array and they were busy at that time. They did not have time to interrogate them. They did not have time to uh, really even consider what they would do with these men. He said, just roll a large stone over the mouth of those caves and hold them there for the time being until the battle is over. And then we'll make a decision as to what we are to do with them. And so I note from this story the progression of this, and that is that first they were driven into those caves because of fear. But it wasn't long that there was a large stone rolled atop the mouth of that cave, and that cave that was a hiding place originally for them, a place that they would find security and shelter away from their enemy, a place that they could separate themselves from the battlefield. It became a place that progressed into a prison. They could no longer get out of it but it became a place that they were incarcerated in. I'm going to tell you, the longer you stay in a cave, the more dangerous it becomes to you. Could I just put it in vernacular that we can understand, the longer that you stay in a spiritual funk, if you will, the longer you stay in a spiritual decline, The longer you stay cold, the longer that you allow yourself to be isolated from the worship and unengaged in what's going on in the church service, the longer that you allow yourself to stand on the sidelines and sulk in your hurts and uh, give in to some of the things that have happened to you in life, the more dangerous that cave becomes to you. You may have originally went there to retreat 
and to find solace and saying, well, I'm going to regather myself and I'm going to go back out and engage in the battle. It was safer for these men, if you will, to be on the battlefield than it was for them to be in the cave because the cave became a prison for them. I'm going to tell you, it's a whole lot safer for you as a child of God to stay engaged in the work of God, to stay involved in the church, amen, to continue, amen, serving God with all your strength and your vigor, even though it may seem like right now I don't feel the victory that I'd like to feel. I don't have the strength in my faith that I'd like to feel. You just stay involved in what God is doing in your life and what's happening and stay connected to the church church and God will bring you out of that place. God will help you and give you victory over that problem. Don't allow the cave to become a prison to you. Hallelujah. Come on. Clap your hands to the Lord. You stay in a cave long enough. You'll you'll allow yourself to, to feel justified about certain things. Oh, that's right. I'm going to tell you, justification is one of the most dangerous things that a hurt saint of God can engage in. A, a, a offended saint of God, the, the, the thing that, that, that can be the most devastating to them is to harbor and to nurture and to nurse offenses and, and defeats and setbacks in our life and to stay isolated. I'm going to tell you, people are people and people are going to hurt you. People are going to disappoint you. People are going to come, amen, out against you at times. Just as in the days of Job, amen, there are folks that are used of the enemy to speak for the enemy. It was these friends that came to him and uh, said things that was exactly what the enemy had said that he would cause Job to do. Uh, it was it was his own wife that uh, in her discouragement and disappointment about what was going on in his life that spoke up and said exactly what the enemy had said in the throne room of God. Curse God and die. But thank God that Job was wise enough. I may be in a cave right now, but bless your heart, I'm not going to stay in a cave. I'm not going to keep licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself. I'm going to get back up. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I may not feel good about things right now, but a better day's ahead. A better day is coming. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do what I've always done. Every morning I used to get up with sacrifice and worship on my mind and that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to get up. I'm going to scrape my wounds off. I'm going to shake the dust and the ashes of what used to be off. And I'm going to worship God. And I'm going to praise God. It's hard to keep a saint down that will worship God. It's hard to keep a saint discouraged that will worship God. It's hard to keep a saint of God oppressed that will worship and praise and magnify the Lord. 
You want to get out of your problem? Start praising God. Amen. You want things to get better and the sun to shine again and the clouds to dissipate and the heaviness to go away and the fog to live? Just start praising God. Just start worshiping God. Somebody ought to do that right now. I don't have to wait another day. I don't have to wait until tomorrow. I don't have to wait. Amen. I'm not being penalized for anything. I don't have to wait on this. I'm not in probation by God. Amen. But I'm going to praise God. I'm going to lift up his name. I'm going to give thanks to him. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's worship the Lord. Let's give praise to the Lord. Right. You know what the Bible said about the enemy? He cometh forth but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Sin, the thing that he works in. The Bible said the wages of it is death. James said, when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. And the scripture says, these five kings that stayed in that cave, and it became a prison to them, ultimately, Joshua came back, rolled the stone off of those caves, and took these men out and executed them, and then put them back in the same cave and let it serve as a tomb or grave for them. So if you're not careful, the cave that you looked and searched out to find comfort in can become a grave to you if you allow it to. If you stay in that place, you cannot afford to stay in a place of depression. You cannot afford to stay in a place of despondency. You cannot afford to stay in a place of doubt and confusion. You cannot, I know everybody faces things like this. I know everybody has situations that arise in their life. But there comes a point, you gotta pull yourself up. You gotta take responsibility for yourself. And you say, just as David did, I may not have anybody else to inspire me, but I'm gonna encourage myself in the Lord. I'm gonna worship God. I'm gonna find strength inwardly from my relationship with God. I don't need anybody else to lift me up. I got Jesus on my side. Amen. It'd be nice if a brother would come by and pat me on the back, but if he doesn't do it, I'm still going to be in the house of God, praising God. It'd be nice to have a sister come by and say, yeah, you're doing a good job. I encourage you in the Lord. But even if that doesn't happen, that isn't going to hold me down. I'm not staying in this cave. I'm coming out. I'm coming out with worship. I'm coming out with fresh faith. I'm coming out. I'm coming out to praise the Lord. I'm coming out to sing a new song. I'm coming out to rejoice. I'm coming out with victory. I'm coming out whole. I'm not coming out defeated and discouraged and down in fear, but I'm coming out even in faith that God has something for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody give him a wave offering across this building right now. Man, I feel something building. Feel something building in my spirit. Somebody said, well, at least I survived. You know, if we're not careful, we can start making room in our lives for not being what we need to be. Another form of justification here I'm speaking of. We can, we can make excuses and even convince ourselves well, I don't have 
the faith that I used to have. And I don't have the prayer life and the consecration that I used to have. And I'm not as on fire for God as I used to be. But at least I survived. At least I've made it through. Well, surviving's not the goal, folks. Thriving's the goal. And, and uh, I don't find anywhere in God's word where it says he's coming back for a church that's crippled, emaciated, beat down, barely made it. It doesn't say he's coming back for a surviving church. Doesn't say he's coming back for one that's, uh, I mean, just uh, a hair's breadth away from, from just dying out. Doesn't say that he's going to rescue his church. It says that he's going to rapture his church. And that he's coming back for a church without spot, without wrinkle, without any blemish on it. A church that is triumphant. A church that is ready. A church that is watching for him. A church that's having revival. A church that is seeing miracles. A church that is having prayers answered. A church that's as excited as it's ever been for serving God. Not a church that's just about out of gas. Not a church that is just about to give up. Not a church that is just about to backslide and is on the edge. But I'm talking about a church that's on fire for God. I'm talking about a church that has red hot worship. I'm talking about a church that has red hot prayer meetings. I'm talking about a church that has anointing dripping off of them. I'm talking about a church that when they come, amen, to the house of God has an enthusiasm that anything can happen in the house of God. Oh, if you believe that, why don't you raise your hands to him right now? You know, we we had an opportunity to go over and visit Greece and Rome a few years back, and some of those historians that were leading us around, we come into that Roman Senate area. And courtyard, and it was amazing to see all of that that was still there, the ruins of that that was still there after all of these thousands of years. And they pointed, they pointed to a certain area, and they said, right there, right there, and I think it was Julius Caesar that they said, right there was where he was cremated and burned. His body was burned right there at this particular place. But I noted something. They kept saying this over and over again during our tours. They would say, you know, it's hard for us to pinpoint exactly where the early church saints were martyred. It's, it's hard for us to pinpoint. We think it was along this road. And I looked down that road and I thought, well, that's a pretty good stretch there. It's along this road somewhere that Paul was executed. And over here, Simon Peter. And I thought to myself, they can pinpoint exactly where Julius Caesar perished, where he was cremated, where he died, and his ashes mixed with the dirt, I suppose, in that particular area. They could pinpoint that exact area, but they could not tell where the early church, where, where they had perished and where they had been executed. And it just reminded me of the fact that the early church didn't live... Uh, with the negative on their mind. 
They weren't always talking and rehearsing and so orally history when it was passed down. It wasn't about where uh, bad things happened to me. They weren't pointing and focusing on where negative things took place and where there was that ultimate martyrdom of an individual and where they perished and where they died. The focus was not on necessarily any of that, but their focus was on the kingdom of God going forward. Their their focus was upon eternity. And uh, there's there's great temples and shrines that are there commemorating the, the things that they did for the kingdom of God. But there's very little as far as historically that they can prove as exactly where these bad things happened to them because that was not the focus on the heart and the mind of the early church. I'm going to tell you, if we're going to have, amen, the church that God wants us to have, we cannot be focused on just what happens to us in life. There's going to be bad things that are going to happen. I don't know how high gas is going to get, but that's not my focus. I don't know how high inflation is going to go, but that's not my focus. I don't know what the interest rate is going to become, but that's not my focus. My focus is not on all of that. My focus is upon the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God and having revival because this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We're just journeying through this world. We're going to a heavenly home. We're going to a city whose builder and maker is God. We're looking, amen, for the new Jerusalem. We're not looking for new things on this earth, amen, but we're trying to collect as many souls as we possibly can in the church to see the work of God go forward, to see souls come in, to see lives change, to see revival take place. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord and let's give him praise. You can't stay. You can't stay in that place. Hallelujah. You can't stay at that point. Amen. But you got to give out you got to get out of that. you got to get up and get out of that situation. If the enemy can drive you into a cave, and if he can keep you there, he'll keep you from fulfilling your purpose and what God has called you to. Every person in this place has a particular purpose that God has called you to. Obadiah hid a hundred prophets in a cave, and he thought he was doing a pretty good job. And Elijah comes along, and real loud, I just, I, you know, you ever been around somebody that it just like they got a built-in megaphone? Come on now, don't nudge your wife now, brother. I mean, this got a built-in megaphone. This, they don't need a PA system. They just got it built in. I mean, you can hear them talking 100 yards away. And uh, I just picture Elijah being that kind of a fella. Uh, just got a built-in megaphone. Just he couldn't whisper if he tried. And, uh, you know, I've seen people try to whisper, and you could hear them 100 yards off. I mean, you know, you know, they just, I mean, their voice is amplified. And I just picture Elijah being that type of a man. And he said, hey, Obadiah. Obadiah's looking around. He said, hey, shh, don't you know we're in hiding? All right, all right. When when'd you when'd you show up here? Don't you realize we we got a hundred prophets in here we're trying to take care of? Won't you be quiet, man? He said, "No." He said, "I want you to notify Ahab 
that I'm here. This is not a time for us to be silent. This is not a time for us to be quiet. But this is a time for us to make ourselves known. It's time to come out of this cave, in other words. It's time. I'm not, I didn't come. God didn't call me to be a hider. He called me to point out some things that are going bad in Israel. He, he, he called me, amen, and he gave me a message to proclaim. I got a job to do. I can't hide in a cave and do the same job that God has called me to do. And I can see him, hey, man, be quiet. You're going to stir something up here. Have you ever heard of a lady by the name of Jezebel? You don't want to get her wrath against you. You certainly don't want to get this thing all stirred up. It's going to be bad. There's going to be persecution. And uh, you can see old, old Elijah as he makes his way down the road and finally gets a chance to confront Ahab. And Ahab said, oh, I've heard about you. He said, you're the one that troubled Israel. He said, no, 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 you got that wrong. You got it completely backwards. He said, you're the one, old buddy, that is troubling Israel. You're the problem. I'm not the problem. Matter of fact, God sent me to be the remedy to the problem. You know what we need in this hour? We need a baptism of boldness. Uh, there's some of you that are so ashamed to be apostolic. Uh, amen. It's laughable. Amen. You're, there's some of you. Amen. You need to come out. You need to realize. Uh, amen. That I am in God's kingdom for a purpose and a reason. And God has called me to do something. He's called me to do a work. And I'm not going to hide in a cave and just hope I can be saved. I'm going to come out for God and be what God wants me to be. Hey, the, the world's not afraid to come out. The world's not afraid and ashamed of what they are. Why should the apostolics be ashamed of what they are? Come on, it's time we get a baptism of boldness. It's time, amen, that we be a witness. It's time that we tell others about what God is able to do. It's time, amen, that we, amen, you heard him preach this morning, these signs shall follow them that believe. That's not just preachers. That's not just evangelists and missionaries and pastors. Amen. All believers that are filled with the Holy Ghost, you can pray the prayer of faith. You can pray for the sick and they be healed. You can witness and see the law saved. You can see revival on your job and in your school or wherever it is that you may come in contact with the lost. I believe that. Amen. It's time for us to get a boldness about us and realize that this is what God called us to do instead of hiding. Mennonites oppressed Israel. In the book of Judges, and it seems to have happened and occurred for seven years. You know, one one year is pretty bad. Two years is worse. Three years insufferable. But seven years, and, and there was a tactic behind it all. It said that the Midianites, and I don't know why, but I'd always get mixed up with that. And uh, and I don't know why. It's I guess it's because so close. I'd always want to call them Mennonites, and uh, but it's Midianites. Anyway, I don't know why I even said that, but the Midianites seven years oppressed Israel, and their tactic was is that they would allow them to plant a field, to nurture it, protect it, water it, cultivate it, keep the pestilence out of it, keep the weeds from growing up around it. And then, just about the time of harvest, when they would go down with their wagons to harvest it, they'd let them do all the work of even harvesting it. And when they were bringing it home, 
And they were excited about a long, many months of work coming to fruition. It would be stole from them. These bandits would come down and steal it away from them. And they were driven. The Israelites were driven into caves, the Bible says, and crevices and rocks, hiding, oppressed for seven years. And this was just a a cycle that continued to go on and on for this whole amount of time, being driven back into hiding. And then they would wait and they would scrape by for the winter months. And when it came spring again, hope would be reunited in their heart and they would they would go out and they would plant and they would cultivate and they would work. And then again, when the harvest came, it would be taken away from them. And it was in the midst of this that the scripture says Gideon was by a wine press that was obviously not operational because of everything that was going on in the land. And he was hiding there. He was using this as a place to hide behind. And it was a place of cover. And the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, Gideon, thy mighty man of valor. You see, the Lord sees in us what sometimes we don't even see in ourselves. Gideon didn't see himself as a mighty man at all. He's seen himself as being oppressed. And uh, he was there threshing just a little bit of wheat so that he could, maybe it was just his last little bundle that he had to feed his family with. And he was wondering what he was going to do after this was consumed. How am I going to survive? And the Lord, through an angel, spoke to him, Gideon, thy mighty man of valor. And I don't go into all the story, but Gideon with 300 men after the Lord had whittled it down, 300 men goes out into the place to engage the Midianites who were an army that could not even be numbered. You couldn't put a, a for sure number on them because there were so many. They scurried like, a, like ants on an anthill. I mean, there were so many of them they could not be numbered. And the scripture says that when the Lord instructed them, they were to take a lamp and and to put a clay pot over that lamp to hide it until a certain point. And then on the hillside around where the enemy was encamped down in the valley, at a certain point when the signal was given, they were to break that clay pot and those lamps was to shine and they were to shout. They were to shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, the sword of the Lord, and of Gideon. And when I was considering this today, I thought how that the Lord wanted them to state something that had they had not had faith and confidence that God was on their side by this point. I don't know about you, but I don't think these 300 men were necessarily the most trained, the most experienced Because sometimes experience can teach us wrong things. Amen. Sometimes experience, we can get it grooved in our minds the wrong way. And these men were that that first initially joined this army of Gideons. I'm sure they were trained and and they were, some of them had been involved in, in battles perhaps and engagements with the enemy before. But when they considered what they were up against and given the option, they said, you know, logic tells us that we cannot win, that we're outnumbered. But these 300 men, 
they were of a different sort. These were men that had a, a real confidence that God is going to help us some way. I don't know how it's going to happen. Ever been there? I don't know how it's going to happen, but if it, if it ends up in victory, it'll be God's victory. It won't be mine. Amen. If it ends up, uh, amen, uh, coming through, if I make it through this, I can't take any glory for it. It'll be God, amen, that receives all the glory. You know, I told the Lord back when we were negotiating to get this this property, I said, Lord, if you make a way and you allow this all to happen, I promise you, you'll never hear me saying, look what we've done or, or look what I have accomplished or anything of the sort. It'll be to God be the glory. It'll be to God be the glory. Amen. And that's the way I feel about revival. God, you fill this place up so that we cannot, we cannot even house the crowd. Amen. And, and by the looks of things on Sunday mornings around here, it's not looking like it's too far off. But I'm is telling you, if it happens, if it happens, it won't be because of Pastor Calhoun. It won't be because of any one person in this place. It'll be God that receives the glory because it's Him that gives the victory. It's Him that brings us out. And I'm going to tell you, if it's to happen around here, it's going to be because everybody gets on board with it. It's going to be because everybody desires it. Amen. If you want to keep things oppressed where you can have your little family church, you're not going to have revival that way. you got to get out of that groove and realize, hey, we're not in competition with anything else. We just want God and want all He's promised for us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. That's the reason why some churches never seem to get beyond a certain point is because they got a family-owned and operated situation. This is the way we've always done. They're always talking about something that happened 50 years ago. Amen. God is not a God that lives in the past. And why should you? You should get your mind made up. There's more promises that God wants to fulfill. There's greater things that he wants to give us. And I'm striving for it. I'm pushing for it. I'm pressing towards it. Because I want what God has for us. Somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so... So, when I, when I begin to consider with boldness, they made this proclamation and it disconfended the enemy until they, they got up and, 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 and in their confusion, they began to pull arms and weapons on one another and did the job for the Israelites fighting against themselves. Disconfited, confused. And I thought, what did he ask them to say? He said, the sword of the Lord end up Gideon. I got to look, and I don't see a sword in this. Gideon didn't have any sword. The Bible said that all of the swords had been collected. All the weapons had been collected by the enemy. And then, in fact, they, they, they'd had a lot of their the implements and weapons of warfare taken away from them. These were just nomadic people that was trying to survive. These, these, they were just trying to get by at this particular point. There's no evidence of a sword in this story at all. Amen. And then it dawned on me that in Jewish thought, uh, the sword has always been representative of the Word of God. And so they knew they had an edge uh, like their enemy did not have. They had an edge uh, that their enemy could not come against them and defeat 
them. Amen. They knew they had an edge on their enemy and that was that they had the word of God. They had the word of God. The word of God said they were going to be victorious. The word of God said if you do this, this, and this, I'm going to give you the victory. If you do this like I ask you to and you have faith in me, I'm going to give you the victory. You're going to come out a conqueror. I'm preaching to somebody in this place. The edge that you have is that you have the word of God on your side. The edge that you have is that you have the truth on your side. The edge that you have is that I've already read this book and revival's our promise. We're not desiring something that God doesn't want to give us. We're desiring something that God has already promised to us and he wants to pour out upon us. Is a somebody in this place that says, God, amen, I want to take what I've got and proclaim it and be bold with it and not hold back, but give me faith that will stand when everybody else is withering away, when everybody else is fleeing. Help me to get something in my feet that refuses to run, that refuses to turn my back, but help me to face my problems in faith. Come on, lift up your hands and let's stand our feet right now all across this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Last week or two, whenever it was that I preached on that previous chapter, we know that this was a very discouraging time in David's life. In fact, he was expelled from Saul's house, separated from his best friend, Jonathan. He went down, made himself mad before the Philistines and and just, just barely escaped with his life. Then he flees to this cave of Adullam. these people begin to join him there. Now I know in a practical sense and, and in the context and knowing the end of the story here, I understand that this was ultimately a good thing and that 400 of them joining themselves became mighty men of David. And some of them are listed and they were very loyal followers of David because of his help and his leadership and his anointing of God. Can I say to you that you have to be careful who attaches themselves to you when you're down. You better be very cautious who comes along when you're in the cave. And said, yeah, I can identify with you, David. I know exactly how you're feeling, man. You got to be careful because not everybody that comes to visit you in the cave is there for your good. Not everybody that comes and slinks up beside you in the cave, puts their arm around you, is there for your betterment. That being said, David is a low point in his life. But there's a man of God by the name of Gad. We don't hear a lot about this particular prophet. He was a prophet in David's life during this stretch of time. Samuel, of course, was the man that anointed him. And uh, we know that Samuel would pass off the scene. And then there was Gad and all 
also Nathan was a prophet of God that was used to help David later in his life. But at this particular point of discouragement, God sent this prophet Gad. And uh, he gives him a very direct message. He just tells him. He didn't ask why he was there. He didn't console him because of why he was there. He didn't say, yeah, I know the reasons why he ended up in this place. He didn't say any of that. He just simply said, he said, abide not in the hold. Depart and get thee to the land of Judah. That's pretty direct. That's not necessarily sugarcoating it. That's not necessarily, you know, a real sweet way of saying it. But you know, time was of essence. And when somebody is at a very pivotal point in their life, sometimes it takes a jolt. It takes something direct to get them out of that place. And he said, David, you don't belong here. You're called for higher purpose than this. You can't stay down. You can't stay in this dark cave forever. Get out of this cave and go to Judah. And everybody knows what Judah means. He said, if you're gonna, if you're gonna get out, there's only one place that you can go, and there's only one thing that'll get you out, and that's that you gotta make up your mind to go to Judah. Hallelujah. Now we know that David was of the tribe of Judah. He was familiar with the land of Judah. This was his roots. And if there's one common denominator in David's life, if you had to boil this man down to just one word, I suppose praise would be the word that you would use because he was praiser. Many of the Psalms was written by David. Amen. So David recognized what is going on. He's going back to his roots. He's going back to what he got in with. Amen. And that's what you need to do here tonight. You need to go back to what gave you victory in the first place. You need to go back to what brought your miracle of salvation in the first place. You need to go back, amen, to that abandonment before God that said, I'm not worried about what anybody thinks or says or does. I'm not worried about looking pretty. I'm not worried about my stature with everybody else in the sanctuary. I'm only worried about one thing, and I just came to praise God. I come to give glory to the Lord. I come, I come to lift up His name. That's how I got in this thing. That's how I got the Holy Ghost. Amen. First of all I repented and then I started praising and I started worshiping him. I'm going to tell you that's how you're going to get a renewing in the Holy Ghost is to say God I come with a heart filled with praise. Somebody needs to get up and get out of the cave. Somebody needs to not stay another day in that depression and that defeat. You say man I made some bad decisions. I made some bad choices. I've, I've had some hindrances. I've, I've even had some hurts and some problems and some difficulties and my performance hasn't been all that great over the last little while I'm telling you don't stay down don't stay defeated don't stay in that place get your hands in the air David and get out of this cave and get out of that dark place and lift up your voice and give praise to the Lord hallelujah hallelujah
hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm not going to stay there. I'm not going to stay in this place. I'm not going to stay down. I refuse to stay defeated. I refuse to allow myself to be identified with this place. This is not my home. This is not where I'm staying. Amen. I may have entered, but I'm not going to stay here. I may have, I may have allowed myself to come to this point, but I'm not going to stay at this point. I'm going to give praise to the Lord that He deserves. Come on, lift up your voice to Him. Lift up your voice to Him. Let refreshing winds blow in your life. Let that discouragement dissipate because of the praise that you give to God. Amen. Lift up your voice and sing. Lift up your voice and rejoice. Lift up your voice and give glory to God. That's the last thing the enemy inspects. That's the last thing the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to stay down. He wants you to stay defeated. He wants you to stay depressed but I got news for him I'm coming out I'm coming out with fresh victory and fresh faith and a fresh new desire to live for God